Welcome to Heavy Networking, the flagship podcast of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Jeremy Shulman joins us today in an in-person recording done at AutoCon Zero, the first conference devoted to network automation and put on by the Network Automation Forum. And if this is the first time you're hearing about NAF or AutoCon, you should check them out, networkautomation.forum. Now, just a couple of hours ago at AutoCon Zero, Jeremy delivered a talk from the main stage about delivering network assurance. And if the term network assurance doesn't mean anything to you, think about how you prove after an install or a change that the network is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And if you're doing it by hand, you would be doing a lot of logging into devices to see that routing adjacencies are what they should be and that there's reachability and, and so on. What if you could automate all of that? How would you do that? Where would you even start? Well, Jeremy's been working on this and, and, and related things for a number of years at Major League Baseball. He's got some answers for us. So, Jeremy, the title of your talk was Design-Driven Network Assurance. So I think we got to start there because in those four words, Design-Driven Network Assurance, that's a philosophy. It's an approach. It's how you handle this pretty significant problem. So talk us through what you mean by Design-Driven Network Assurance. Sure, sure. And thanks for having me on the show. Really great to see you guys in person. So when I look at the problems that network engineers, you know, struggle with, they struggle with config, you know, deployments, they struggle with operational management. I work with a team that is a network engineering and operations team. So they're not separate teams, they work together. And in order to look at the whole of the network, Right? We have to understand what is it supposed to be doing. That is the design. So somebody said, this network is being designed for a purpose. And in their, in their minds, they have a certain set of expectations that if they configured it according to their design, then, well, then they should be able to log in and do all the show commands. And so what I learned through you know, my sales experiences you know, for 10 years was you can't take configs off a box and reverse engineer the intent of the networking team because the configs could be, you know, something that grew out over years and years and years. And there's no way to like reverse engineer the intent of something based on all of that. So we had to rethink the approach as a whole. We, we just couldn't start with config automation or we couldn't just start with just operational show commands in isolation. What I, what I learned from my experience with Appster is that you tie those things together inherently and when you start with the design, then you can programmatically reason about, you know, what the network is supposed to do so you can generate the configs. And then you know from the design what needs to be validated on the network. So I'll stop there. Okay, so the, the important piece here is we're starting with the design, as in forget what's out there. On the, yeah, you've got switches and routers and they're cabled up and there's a, there's a topology. Forget that. Step back, look at the problem you're trying to solve. What does the network design look like that meets that, uh, meets that goal, that business objective? That's the place we have to start with something that is, what, a, a sheet of paper, something modeled in the computer? Yeah, I mean, so that's an interesting question because at some point it could be as bad as there's no documentation whatsoever and you have to sit with Bob. And Bob knows how the network was built because Bob's been here for 10 years. And, you know... And if you were to try to reverse engineer BGP policy by looking at configs, you would lose your mind. And then Bob would be like, yeah, well, you know, 10 years ago when, you know, the network was like this and then, you know, you listen to Bob's story. And so at some point, you know, if you walk into a brownfield network and it's like that, then there is an engineering, a rediscovery process where you really have to go back and go, all right, what is the design of this network? 
because until you look at it and then maybe you do have to draw those pictures, maybe you do have to create those Google Docs to say, this is what it was supposed to be doing even before you can even attempt automation because the design really is the, the path of where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, then any path will take you there as, as we know. Mm. And that's why a lot of automation never takes off, right? Because they don't have a direction in which they're trying to go. And so we, I walked into Brownfield Networks and, and even the technology that we're looking at right now, it doesn't automate our entire estate of everything everywhere because that would require, you know, five more people on my team to do that. So we, we go after the low-hanging fruit and we say, okay, you know, if we can understand the design, then we can automate all of the things about that one part, even if it's just a part of a data center, that's still a design. So when you talk about design, though, my answer would be, well, of course, the design is to move packets from A to B. So can you talk a little bit more about further, talk further about what you mean by what the, nec- what the network was built to do besides the simple answer of move packets A to B. Yeah, so let's talk about like what I mean by a design. Yeah. Sure. So what I mean by a design is, is you know, you have a set of devices, you know, right? We understand that concept. Mm-hmm. And we know what their role is generally. Like if you're building a data center, you know what a spine is, you know what a leaf is, or if you're doing a WAN network, you know, the network engineer goes, I know what the purpose of this box is, right? And then they'll say, well, I know how they're physically connected, and they'll say, I know what kind of transceivers are used, right? So there's, a, there's an aspect of the physical layer design that mm-hmm. every design has. I, I refer to that as the topology. So when we talk about a design, then we have the devices. And then I have what are called, you know, design services. So a topology represents the design service that every single network would have, right? Now, there's another concept, like you can say, uh, my network has BGP, so that would be a design service, and, and there's elements of what makes BGP important in my design. And you could kind of abstractly think about any kind of service, whether it's a common networking problem, like multicast or BGP, or it could be something that's vendor-specific. Like, let's say you're using a vendor-specific technology and you wanted to represent that as a service so that you could configure it and then validate its operational state. So we, so we had to come up with a way to represent anything, any network, any vendor, any criteria, not just data center or just WAN or just campus. You know, we had to be able to, like, have that level of flexibility. Mm-hmm. But, but you have to scope it on some level, Jeremy. You can't model anything, anything. You've got to bound it into some standard set of modules? Well, that's what we do, yeah. So that's what the design services are meant to do, right? So if you looked at, you know, the, the network designs that we put together, and then we could say, well, there's these four or five design services, you know, topology, obviously, VLANs, maybe BGP peering, maybe multicast, maybe PTP. You know, that doesn't represent every little nook and cranny of a config. And it doesn't have to, because we're not trying to operationally check every nook and cranny, right? In, in the configs, there might be, oh, these are my NTP servers, these are my DNS servers, you know. We don't model that as part of the design, but it's part of the Jinja templates that make up the configs, right? So the, the, the point of that is, is, we only go after the operational state that truly matters. And then maybe we grow that over time. So we don't, you know, we had to take an approach that didn't require us to do all the things at the beginning. Okay. And that was a major, major decision point in our approach so that we could, you know, pick a slice of a data center perhaps and just kind of do that maybe like maybe just these two or three racks worth of services and just kind of grow it. And that gave us the opportunity not to make 
you know, an all or nothing, you know, commitment. Because in, in most of those cases, when you try to bite off too much of an elephant, the elephant sits on you and you die. And when you say we took a slice of a data center, you're saying we're trying to sort of model out what the design of the slice of the data center is for? Right. I mean, if we look at like a data center and we say, well, in this data center, you know, we have different kinds of services that are important to our line of business. You know, we're not Google, we're not, you know, um, Spotify. You know, we have very specific things that run in our data centers. And so if we were to model the design of the network infrastructure and those devices just for that one important, you know, service that helps run, you know, the game of baseball, then we're not trying to do 20 racks. We might be trying to do like the three or four racks that are important to that one service. Okay, so this notion of design-driven network assurance is iterative at the outset. Very much so, uh, very much so. And what we what we kind of find out, what's kind of interesting, is that we will put something in the design, and then we'll kind of turn the crank, and then we'll get the operational state back. And then, and then the operational state would be like, hey, there's something else going on here. And then we're like, oh, maybe we should add a little bit more to the design. Because a lot of times, you know, I'm learning about the business of, of what we do, and there's infrastructure in there that I'm like, oh, well, what is that about? Maybe we'll, like, kind of add that piece a little bit. And it is very, very iterative. Yeah. Now, from the stage, you said that the design, maybe I misunderstood you, but it's, it's not a bunch of YAML. In other words, how we're describing this design that's got switches and ports and interconnections and so on. It's, it's not a bunch of YAML. What, what is it then? Yeah, so... The, the, the makeup of our approach is, is like a product. Somebody said, you know, you have to approach network automation as a product, meaning, you know, there's, there's care and feeding um, and attention to the engineering aspects of it. Um, and so we just decided we're going to write a system in Python, right? And we're going to represent the design the same way a software engineer would say, here's a software design toolkit, an SDK. Like, say you're trying to build a Slack application, Slack will give you an SDK that says, oh, here's the widgets for a dropdown and a button, and, and you can compose an application using an SDK. We took the same approach. We said, okay, um, here's an SDK, and part of that SDK is, say, the precision time protocol module, or here's a SDK that is the topology module. Okay. And we can represent the design that is network device vendor independent in a way that the design says this is what the network is supposed to do. But when we go down to the low-level touch-the-network pieces, that's where you're like, oh, I'm going to touch, you know, an Arista device through its eAPI and through a Cisco NXOS through the NXOS. You know, that level doesn't percolate into the designs. We, and that's a very critical thing because if we have to do a, a network refresh and we have to swap vendors for whatever reason, you know, it makes it much easier to say we're still doing the same design or if we have different ballparks that use different boxes for the same design, you know, we can approach that kind of a problem. But you're saying in your model, you've used Python to say, we represent a switch this way, we represent a port on that switch this way, we represent a transceiver uh, that connects to that switch this way, and you've modeled all that out so that I can apply broadly. Correct. Okay. Yep. Is that your own model then, or is it based on some kind of industry standard? I, I say that <laughs> loosely, knowing that I just kicked the hornet's nest. Yeah, no, I... You know, look, industry standards are great, you know, when they work for you. Um, but this type of approach doesn't lend itself well for a couple of different reasons. Um, a lot of times, you know, industry standard models are incomplete for the, the purposes that we require. And also, not every vendor that we use implements the same version of an industry standard if it involves an industry standard at all. Like, you could say, well... If all of my products were using OpenConfig, gosh, that would be great. 
That's like saying, if all of my switches were from the same vendor, that would be great. And then, um, and then you get cases where even you have vendors that are both using OpenConfig, just to pick on OpenConfig, um, they might be using different versions. And those versions you know, mean that the data model in itself is different. So a lot of people don't understand or, or trip over these nuances until you've done this 100 times. And so when I saw, you know, open config, I'm just like, oh, well, it's just SNMP all over again. We're just going to end up with enterprise MIBs. And that's kind of what happened. So, uh, you know. So to answer your question, what I tried to do was create models that fit the services, the design services that we were trying to accomplish, not the very low-level device abstractions. And I tried to talk about this in, in the uh, presentation a little bit. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I learned along my way in Vendorland is that the abstractions are meaningful at the service level, level when you're doing a design. The abstractions at the device driver level are only meaningful when you're trying to implement something to talk to the device. And those two things should be separated, you know, and there should be not be any kind of what they call abstraction leak between the two, if at all possible. Can you give an example of a service? Well, yeah, like, like the PTP, for example, is, is a design service, okay. right? So I can say, you know, on this interface, you know, you are the grandmaster or you are a slave or you are a master. You know, like I can designate, you know, in a port profile, which is how we kind of represent these, these relationships. And, um, and that allows this, the system to go, oh, I know this device is using PTP. Therefore, I know I should turn on the PTP service, you know, for this device, which in turn then says, when we generate the configs, do, do the needful. And then when, I, when we generate the, the checks, we know, well, I know I need to generate PTP checks for this device or, or for the service. Those PTP checks are also vendor agnostic, meaning there's a data structure that represents these are the, the values of the check and the expected values that we want to see. It's the low-level device driver that turns that check into actual touch the device interpret the data, and then respond back. And I do cover checks and how that works in my Nanog talk uh, in a lot more detail because that's a lot of concept and, and whatnot. So folks could check yeah, that we'll out. Yeah, we'll link that in out. the show notes. Yeah. Okay, so to speak to that low-level bit there, and you, you said there's two levels of abstractions. We don't want to leak between the two of them. What is that lower-level abstraction they're using? Just a vendor-specific interface that they give you that you're, you're hitting, like an API? or? Yeah, I mean, you know, APIs are great. You know, you can choose whatever they give you. So, you know, if I have to talk to an Arista device, you know, I'll use the Arista eAPI. If I'm using a Cisco product and that Cisco product has an API, I will use it. In, in the case where I have to implement a, uh, an automation around a product that doesn't have an API, you know, could I choose to screen scrape? I, I could choose to do that. Could yep. I choose to try to use SNMP to get the data out of it? I could choose to do that. But that low-level implementation detail is never surfaced up into the, uh, it's never surfaced up into the, the design. The design never says, oh, by the way, use SNMP to talk to me. I mean, that, that is the abstraction cutoff point. Right, NetCam, computer aided manufacturing. That's where all of those low-level details are, are contained. And NetCAD is the computer aided design, which that's where all the design elements are. So NetCAD is that model you've modeled the network using Python. You call that NetCAD, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Both NetCAD and NetCam are both written in, in both Python. Both in Python. Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So it's all Net, Python. NetCAD is the design, and then NetCam is the way you sort of see, interact with the network and make sure things are working as they should? Yes. Okay, so that is the network assurance portion of the design-driven network assurance? Well, I mean, they're, they're working concert because, okay, so we talked about design, right? And, of course, we're driven. 
because it's an automation, right? <laughs> and, and we're talking about the network. Okay, we got that word. Okay, assurance, what does that mean, yeah. right? Well, to assure something to be operationally correct, you need to know what to expect, right? So the design tells us what to expect, right? The design says on this interface, it should be a 10 gig long range optic, you know? Now, when I use NetCam to pull that data, what do I see? Do I see a 10 gig optic or do I see, you know, a one gig optic? And so that's kind of the, the, the easiest definition of assurance at, at kind of a very physical level, right? And the physical layer is often, you know, ignored by automation systems like as a whole. And that's sad because if you don't, can't get your physical layer right, nothing else is going to work. So yeah. that we started there. Like we literally started at that solving that problem to make mm -hmm. sure that when we had contractors coming in and they were plugging stuff in and cabling buildings or, or ballparks that, you know, we, we made sure that physical layer, let's get that right before we try to say, why, why can't we run BGP, for example? So, so we did that. Uh, you haven't said the word intent. Uh, you, are you avoiding that on purpose? Is this, this feels like intent-based networking on some level, but you, you're saying design. I'm saying design because I think people understand what the word design means, right? If you asked a network engineer, show me your design, they would show you a Visio diagram. And in some cases they might show you, here's a spreadsheet that lists all, all my ports, you know, and what they do and their IPs and their VLANs. Like they would say, I have documentation that represents you know, the aspects of this network so that I can implement it. Mm -hmm. Intent has no meaning. Like, it's a marketing term. I mean, it's a fun marketing term. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we, you know, I think you know, we, we liked kicking that around, but people can't put specificity to that language, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I think people will say, I know what a design is now, but how do you implement your design in a tool like this? That's, that's the question people ask. And, and while I have chosen a certain implementation, it's almost immaterial. It's like, you know, I could throw out this whole you know, toolkit, and because I'm the person that likes to do that, and just, oh, that was a good learning experience, let's try something else. And, uh, and maybe buy a product if one existed that did this idea, then that would be great because I think this concept is kind of holding back network automation. The lack of a product like this, you know, is holding people back because in some ways they're afraid to automate things, right? I, oh, I don't want to automate this thing. Well, why is that? Well, I'm not sure if I broke the network. Okay. Well, if you have a system that says, well, if you do this design and it generates these configs and it generates the checks so you know you didn't break the network, well, that's where we get into that aspect of the DevOps guys did the 10 deployments a day and that was like the light bulb. They went, aha. Now we know why we want to do this because now we feel safe about doing something that at high velocity and low risk. And that's when I'm trying to capture that lightning in the bottle with this type of idea. There's another term you didn't say, which is source of truth. And the design also feels like it, you could term it source of truth. Is that fair or unfair? Uh, again, another kind of loaded term because everybody, you know, looks at products, you know, uh, and they say, you know, this product is my source of truth, you know. And then some of us will say, well, that's really a system of record. And you get into this, this language. And I even was talking with, you know, Karidi. He said something up on stage. He said, you know, well, really your database is your source of truth. And I said to Karidi, I'm like, well, if you have the design, you could generate the database. And he's like, hmm. <laughs> right. So, you know, a term that I learned uh, years ago was, you know, something you could programmatically reason about. You know, a, a person in their mind can think about a problem. You can conceptualize, you can imagine, right? And turning that into, you know, in my case, code that we could programmatically reason about um, is, is what is really capturing the design. Now, could I have done that as a series of YAML files? Do I see that in the market? Yeah. yeah, I do. I mean, I look at something like uh, Arista AVD. 
And they're taking the idea of what I'm talking about and their implementation uses YAML to capture design elements. And, and that's, you know, it, it's a path fraught with peril, but it does capture the idea, right? It's, it's, not a, it's not an implementation choice I would have made, but I think they're following the same, des, you know, the kind of the conceptual idea. And I'm seeing more and more folks saying, well, how do I represent a design so I can get something out of it. In the case of Arista AVD, they're like, from these design files, I can generate documentation, which I think is awesome. I think that's a great concept. And then they take those files and they generate Ansible playbooks because that was how they want to implement the netcam part of my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, I don't want to say my idea, but the, this concept, yeah, right? Approach, so yeah. I try not to get hung up on how did I implement this thing because that's not the message I'm trying to get out. You know, I, I think that rather than looking at network automation as config automation problems and troubleshooting problems and, you know, these kind of piecemeal approaches. I'm trying to, as Cree said, look at a holistic view, right? Because there's, there's a benefit that comes out of that, that until you see it, most people don't know it because they've never seen anything like that, right? Can I try to read back what I get from this? So at the high level, what you're trying to do is the design is a set of outcomes this network should deliver. And then there's an under, another portion of that, maybe the, the net cam part of that, that is giving me the assurance that I am actually getting these outcomes that I had designed the network for. That's right. And it will tell you if you're not exactly what went wrong, mm-hmm. you know, so um, we can pinpoint in and say, oh, we're not seeing an optic on this port. And then somebody might say, but I plugged one in. I'm like, well, can you push it a little bit harder? You know, and, and then they go, oh, it just clicked. Uh-huh. You know, to, you know, that's the physical level kind of a problem. Right. Or if we're like, looking at the topology convergence of the PTP protocol, it's like, do we see the grandmaster on a port that we know that should be on a grandmaster port? And if the answer is no, then, you know, we can see, okay, well, why is that? You know, we'll do a little bit more troubleshooting, which maybe that's not automated. You know, somebody has to go look at it and says, oh, I, we didn't turn it on. Sorry. You know, it's like, um, so I think you've represented the idea correctly and, and described it correctly, but they work together, Right. right? What was an interesting outcome of this was, and again, looking at Brownfield, we said, well, what if we designed part of the network but did nothing at all with config? Nothing at all. We don't care, right? And so we were actually able to create this design and then measure the state of the network to that design. And then once we've captured that, then we can go back and regenerate the configs. And so this way, we could be like, okay, all the configs that were on the box, we could probably throw them out because, you know, they're, they're like, you know, grown over time and they're not consistent or whatever. But it's, it's, it's almost this really interesting, you know, brownfield bring you into automation pattern that we just kind of tripped over along the way. And I'm like, that is really cool. Wait, I think you lost me for a second there. Okay, so you, we, we build the design and then you say, and then we don't got to do anything about config. And, and, and so in the brownfield setting, what you're doing is looking at the configs that are in the network now, comparing them to the design and then making, it's like, is there anything here we can still use? Is it well, that kind so, of thing? So, so it's like this, like as I'm building a design for, for part of the network or whatnot, you know, and I would talk to the network engineers, I'm like, all right, what are we doing here? You know, oh, it's these boxes and they're connected on these interfaces and they have this, you know, physical layer, right? And then I go like, okay, just starting at the physical layer. Like I can put that into the design, run the checks and I say, yep, you know, what you told me is correct. I see that, you know, I see those optics and they're like, okay, let's do the next thing. All right, well, what's the, what's the VLAN topology, you know, supposed to be like? Okay, I'm going to represent the VLAN topology in design. Like, these ports should have these VLANs. These should be on these ports, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I can say, okay, generate the checks. Is that operationally true? 
right? And so we can kind of iteratively go through that process. Now, once we have the design built, and I have that, we'll call it a data model of the design, something I could programmatically reason about, then I can say, okay, now that I have all this data, I could then create a set of Jinja templates to generate the, the configs as they should be. And then if we wanted to like diff the two, it wouldn't be very meaningful because now we're saying, okay, well now we have a clean set of configs compared to, there might be stuff on this configs that is just dead config and it's been laying around like, yeah. you know, like, and this is an interesting way to bridge that divide between those two things. It's a learning experience. It's a discovery process. It brings you on the path of, you know, design-driven network assurance. And we don't have to worry about any kind of conflict with, we're not changing the network. We're not configuring, configuring it. And when I learned, you know, when I started teaching people network automation, I said, start with read-only stuff. Right. This is an example of that at a massive scale. It's like we're net. We, there's no risk to the network because we're not changing it, but we're discovering its design. We're kind of, you know, archaeologically discovering the design so that as we move forward, now we have junior network engineers who want to do something. They they can now make a change to the design, you know, and we can go forward in kind of a safe, sane manner. But the, okay, this is the thing I was missing. Um, my brain still has a pattern from back in the days of looking at a configuration on a device to see how it is behaving, when in fact, that's not how you tell how a box is behaving. It may or may not be behaving the way it was configured because reasons. There's a lot of reasons why you can have exceptions to what the intended configuration has uh, told that box to be doing. So what you're doing is you're, you don't care what the configuration is. You're looking at how is the box actually behaving? Show me, you know, port state, show me, you know, VLAN, show me, you know, all these things concluding exactly how the box is operating, what its actual operational state is, comparing that to the design, and then going from there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when we do this discovery, we do look at the configs. We're like, okay, I can see that it is configured this way. Yeah. And, but when we go into the design, we say, okay, well, you know, I, I saw this, you know, and I put it into the design, and then you could even have the, the system generate reports, and you show those reports to the network engineer. He's like, oh, yeah, we're not using that VLAN anymore. Yeah, yeah, we did that for some kind of testing two years ago. We could we could get rid of that. And then so we take it out of the design. And so then when we go back and maybe generate the configs again, all that's gone. So I think it's important to highlight here, you're talking about working in a brownfield environment, which is real gnarly for network automation to get wrapped up in because there's so much stuff in there and you may not be confident, you may not have the assurance that if I automate some change, suddenly I'm not getting the outcomes that I wanted anymore. You're starting in brownfield and saying, Let's see if it's actually doing what it's supposed to do and going from there. Yeah. 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 We do both. We do both brownfield and we have new projects and we have refreshes, which I guess you would call brownfields. Uh -huh. um, yeah. We have to deal with this thing called the real world. Right. <laughs> That's so, the thing. Cause I mean, a, a lot of people, a lot of vendors that you talk to will say in this new network that you're going to build, you do it this way and then you can automate and so on. And that's fine for that new network, but you also got to live with the network you have. So I not like the, the, fact not the network you wish you had. <laughs> the fact that you can apply this to Brownfield, I think, is important. It is critical, actually. It's, it's really kind of crucial. One of the things that I learned, you know, from my vendor days is the fact that you have a really awesome product that only works in Greenfield is, you know, it prevents people from using it. And that's, you know, part of the story here is like, why haven't we seen the adoption of network automation? To some people, network automation means product. You know, it, it doesn't mean I'm going to write a Python script. It doesn't right. mean I'm going to use... Ansible or NetBuy. It means like I am going to buy Cisco NSO or I'm going to buy, you know, Arista CV or whatever. To them, automation is a product. And then, then you're like, well, 
why is it they can't even use those products or what are the friction points of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if, you're not, if you don't have a, a means to address a brownfield environment in some way, not holistically, not 100%, maybe even only 20%, like maybe the only thing you want to do is validate the physical layer, which includes optic transceiver, you know, levels, for example, which are super important. And you stop there. You're winning. You're winning. Jeremy, you've built a custom system here for MLB. It's been it's in Python. You, you told us not everybody's going to be a software developer that's going to write a network automation platform from the ground up in Python, especially someone like you who's benefited from lots of years of experience in Vendorland, you had your own startup, you got tons of experience that many people, most people don't. How do they apply what you've learned and what you've built to their environments? Yeah, my, my best advice is having seen the thing that you want, go to your vendors, make them do this thing. Even if it's like vendor by vendor, you know, like, you know, if you were an Arista customer and you're like, hey man, I saw this thing Jeremy was doing and these concepts are awesome and your product is good, but can you make it do that? Because now I understand the benefit of that thing and I want that. You know, go to your vendors or if you find a, a multi-vendor company, like there's many here that I've seen that are these workflow orchestration systems or, or even companies that are focused on one element, like say observability or just configuration management. It's like, go to them and say, look, I know that you just do X, but let me represent my, de- my network as a design, not like, you know, click here, touch this five things, and every time something changes in my network, I have to like click 30,000 buttons, you know? Mm-hmm. Like take the idea and drive your vendors relentlessly towards this kind of design principle. I know that it works. Right? I'm not saying I have all the answers. Hmm. I have a philosophy about this. You know, there, are, there is the right now answer, which is great. Like 10 years ago, I was doing Ansible, and it was the right now answer. And as I've gone further, I'm trying to get closer and closer to the right answer. There's the right now answer. There's the right answer. Is what I'm doing the right answer? It's the rightest answer nowiest that I have <laughs> that, that actually achieves benefit at a business level. Like if I put in the work that the aha to cha-ching and the oh crap to all clear that I talked about can manifest in a way that before it couldn't. Are there some shops that should be taking your approach? I don't mean philosophically, but I mean the build it internally. We're going to build it in Python. We're going to build it and go whatever it is, but it makes sense for this sort of company to stand up their own network automation. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll see that with the service providers 100%. I mean, Chris Cummings did a presentation, which was exactly this. I mean, he, he did exactly this thing and he's got a team of 20, you know, software engineers and they're a service provider. And in that case, the network is their revenue, right? Revenue drives their business. They will invest, you know, they will, they will buy, they will borrow, they will build, you know, they'll buy product like NSO, you know, they'll borrow from the open source like Ansible and then they'll build their own. Like that's a very sane approach to network automation. Buy what you can, you know, if you've got the budget, you know, buy what you can, borrow what you can and build only what you must, only what you must. And I, I, when I was at Juniper, we saw all the service providers had their own approach. You know, they had old teams of software developers building yeah. these things. Right. I mean, if you wanted to, and if you were a vendor trying to break in, that was like a block. It's like, oh no, our man, man, network management only works with Cisco. Sorry, Juniper. It's great and all, but <laughs> it'll be eight months and now nah, we're just not interested. Like that in itself becomes an interesting problem. Um, so, you know, 
I live in the world of a large-ish enterprise, and that's such an underserved market for this problem. And there's so much, you know, demand, I think, pent up for the, the capability and, the, and the, uh, the, the, the need for products like this. They just don't exist. They just don't exist in the marketplace. Not yet. And so that's why I say drive your vendors relentlessly. Or, you know, I don't know. That's why I just drive them relentlessly. Um, so you have developed internally this NetCAD, NetCam approach. You've built it around Python. Does this mean you now have essentially a software product to maintain internally? Yes. Basically. I mean, you know, the, the, short, like, the short answer is, is yes, kind of. I mean, like anything, you know, that's an internal thing, it's, you know, it's it's something that you work on constantly. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of quote unquote have a roadmap and feature requests and, you know, <laughs> I have Jira and, you know, but what's really fascinating actually about this is when we used this tech with, say, our ballpark folks and they saw it in action because they were the key beneficiaries. They started making suggestions. They said, well, you know, I see that you've represented all of our devices in your design and you know all of our IP addresses. Could you automate the ping sweep to make sure that all of these things are pinged and that the MAC addresses are landing on the, on the uh, ports that, you know, we expect them to be? And I'm like, wow, that's a really cool idea. And I'm like, how'd you come up with that idea? He's like, He's like because we do that manually, dude. <laughs> and it would be awesome if uh, you could, we could just click a button and it'd be done. And I'm like... And I'm like, that, that's a great idea. So I don't come up with all the great ideas. I'm like, I, you know, like, that's impossible. Sure. But it, what's really fun is when we work with the stakeholders of the network, they're like, this is my problem. Can you help through this technology? Save it. Uh, save us. And, um, and, and he came up with like two or three really great ideas. And, I'm, and it was so awesome to see that level of cooperation between teams at a network automation level. That is, you never see that. I, I've never in my life seen that. Ever. I, I guess I bring that up though about the you now have a software product to maintain because there are network engineers there are network engineers out there who are kind of repulsed by the notion of software development. So I guess if I'm thinking about your approach, do I also have to be open to the idea of doing something more software development-ish with my job? Yeah. So I mean, again, the fact that I chose this implementation decision, like I chose to do it in Python for reasons, mm-hmm. you know, is a choice that I made. You know, if there was a you know, a, literally a CAD system of my my dreams, like, like you know, drag and drop and, you know, click this and do that. And maybe, maybe even those tools needed a sprinkling of, of some kind of programming. Like we see this in like other, other market segments all the time, mm-hmm. like Zapier or Wakata or, you know, those types of things. Like here's this really amazing workflow engine, but you might have to sprinkle in a little bit of JavaScript. Like if we could get to that level in the industry, then we're kind of achieving what I think is rational. I'm a network engineer. I have domain expertise. I have a tool that gives me superhuman capabilities. That's my Iron Man suit analogy that I always talk about. And maybe I need to know just enough Python to use those tools more effectively. That is teaching somebody who has domain expertise how to use another tool, which is a little bit of Python. I I think that it's irrational at this point to say network engineers have to become software engineers because network engineers take five years to become senior, senior network engineers. And for somebody to develop the kind of software that I'm talking about, you have to do another five years at least. I mean, and nobody is going to do that, I don't think. Not like, not in this generation that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm being grumpy a little bit. I, I don't think you're being grumpy. I think you're being, being practical. I mean, I went to school for four years to get a computer science degree, and that was a lot of programming in a computer lab to get to the proficiency where I could, you know, they, 
Yes, sir. You've done the computer science program. I've never used it in anger, as it turned out. Never mm -hmm. been a programmer professionally, but it certainly certainly made it a lot easier to write scripts and and all of that. But I want to go back to a point you were making about relentlessly harass your vendors to build a product that uses these concepts that you're just describing. One of the challenges you face is multi-vendor. So we'd be asking, who are we asking? The network equipment manufacturers to build this tool for us? Or a vendor who kind of sits, they don't make network equipment, but they make automation tooling to support your multi-vendor environment? Yeah, why is it tyranny of war? Like all of them, honestly, honestly. I mean, it's not going to be like a switch in the industry that says, oh, now we, now we have this, right? You know, would it be great if, you know, there was a, well, I like to use the term vendor inclusive, you know, technology company that could react uh, very agile to say, oh, I know we don't do vendor X, but we could add vendor, you know, X real quickly. It'd be great, you know, but, you know, there are, you know, shops that are like, well, you know, we use, you know, vendor A for this part of our network, you know, and even if they just had a tool that followed this design philosophy just for that part of the network, that's progress. That's progress. You know, I think the more we see this idea percolate throughout vendors, it'll maybe will drive, you know, vendor inclusive other software companies. I mean, there are many software companies in that, uh, in the area here, and many of them could, could do this idea. Um, but, it, but it comes at a cost. I mean, there's, it's, it's, this is not easy. I've learned this from my vendor days that it's, it's not a cheap endeavor to do it as an independent VAR or system, you know, system, a software company. And, and the VCs just don't care. Like, it's not a market segment that they want to put money into. I mean, it's like they care about whatever AI. If you can take you like AI-driven, design-driven network assurance, sure, okay. Yeah. Well, design-driven network assurance.ai, sure, whatever. Then you'll get money. But I think that's really the challenge is part of what's holding us back is there's not enough care uh, to solve this problem. And, and that, that word translates to VCs or could translate to your leadership or could translate to the people on your team. You know, there has to be all these people caring about solving this problem to really move it. And if all we can do right now is yell at our vendors to say, build me a product that follows this design idea that Jeremy showed you. So you don't have to have me write your, your requirements for you. Like, tell me, Mr. <laughs> Customer, what are your use cases, you know, so I can build a product. Like, you know, it's like they can now point to this thing and they're like, that idea, do that better than what he's doing because he's one guy. So you reminded me, the way you opened your presentation today, you said everybody's got to be on board. Everybody's got to be invested in this, up and down. Business, uh, all your IT team, everybody's got to be on board. How did you convince folks within MLB that this is a thing you got to get behind? Yeah. Well, that took me a couple of years to unravel. Uh, that's a, it's a fascinating question. What, um, what I learned about network automation is um, that people don't care uh, about you, the network engineer. They don't care if you have tools to help you do your job better. I mean, you know, they care about you maybe, but I mean, I don't mean to be like, you know, totally, but it doesn't affect the business. They really don't, they care about outcomes, right? And so one of the very earliest projects that I did was building a chat ops system so that people who were outside of the networking team could get information about the network that they wanted or make subtle changes, well-defined well changes. And, and really what that was is, is like people wanted to have a self-service experience so they can have that instant gratification. And at the same time, it, it indirectly benefited the network, the networking team, so they didn't have to like service a ticket. But when people started to realize that automation could help 
operational efficiency and allow the people who needed the network to, to, to do their job, they could go from aha to cha-ching or oh crap to all clear. Then they're like, okay, I get it. I, they had to see a value that touched the stakeholder of the network, not the networking team themselves. Now the networking team themselves are like, they're like giddy about this because they're like, you know, we're, we're like a very small group of people. We have to do all the things. So anything that you can do to draw down our operational load is awesome, which is a concept that I learned from the Phoenix project that John Wills talked about, like creating capacity. Um, so once other teams started seeing the benefit, then they were like a five-year-old with ice cream. They're like, I want more. I want a different flavor. You know, I want cake with it. Like, you know, can, can you show up with a bouncy castle with it? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it, but it took years really to develop, you know, that level of engagement with different aspects of the business. It wasn't just ballpark because I talk about them because we just did stuff, but the security team, you know, the IT team, the infosec team, you know, all the teams like, and then once one team started hearing about it, they're like, well, I want in, like, I want a chat ops thing. Like I want... I want to be able to like automate power, you know, through chat ops and, you know, like just really amazing ideas came up from the different aspects of our business. And from my sales days, I loved understanding the business of what people did, not just like, this is the network, here's a box with ports, you know. This, this is fascinating, Jeremy, because I would have assumed you got hired to do this essentially. And that's not what you're telling me. You, oh, you I was, I mean, I, you know, was, what was brilliant was the reason why I came to baseball was because there were leaders there at the highest level that said, we do not have network automation at all. We have nothing. We have, we have great cloud stuff. We have great, you know, uh, DevOpsy stuff. But the network, we have nothing. So make it better. You know, and I call that journey the, the journey of caveman to spaceman, right? You know, like, we're, you know, we're in a cave. You know, we're, we're banging rocks together to try to make fire. And, you know, and, and are we spacemen? We are not. We, but we're out of the cave. You mm. know, I think we've got, you know, self, you know, I don't want to say self-driving cars. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're really getting there. But what was, what was fascinating was is I had this really amazing air cover from, from leadership. They're like, make it better. We're hiring you because you know what you're talking about, and we believe in you. And that was so special to me. Like, I mean, that's really that – I, air cover I, I is, break up about it because, yeah. I mean, when somebody believes in you to the degree where they're just like, you know, you come up with a strategy, you come up with a tech, but know that this is the network that you have to work with. This is the constraints of the, the team that you're working with. They're not programmers. You're not going to get one more programmer for a while. You know, it's like, know that. And I said, that's cool, you know. And you I know still had to, convincing to do, though, even with that backdrop, even with that. We oh, yeah. I mean, I had to start with how do we take a group of people who are like CLI out of my cold, dead hands, not going to like, they're like, I, you know, network automation is going to take my job away. How do we transform just internally that group's attitude or approach or comfort level before I can even reach outside like, and work with the other teams. Like, that was, like, two years worth of work, and it wasn't one for the direct leadership of the network infrastructure team at the time. It would never have happened. So that's what I'm talking about when we talk about people have to care up and down. Mm. Like, it takes a long time to do that. But when it happens, it is special. It is truly special. So just, I want to come back to something. Let's say you've got a network engineering team and maybe some leadership one level above them who are, yes, we see the value in automation. We want to go forward. A way to start that is to look at a project that you could do that doesn't just benefit the network team. It will have some business, larger business outcome as a project to maybe get behind because that's when you will get additional looks from the other side of the business or other IT departments or whatever, because you can demonstrate 
this value to them that has a business outcome, be that financial or otherwise velocity, whatever. Absolutely. And sometimes it's not as hard as, as, it, as I would make it sound. A lot of times it's actually just telling the story, right? You know, like, and I did that, you know, like the lead in of my presentation where I talked about, you know, everything that we do is about the fan experience and like, well, how did I tie back network engineering to the fan experience? Yeah, Yet I did, uh-huh. right? You know, that's a good story. Yeah. I mean, but I have years of selling experience to know how to do that. Um, and, you know, I think maybe, you know, one of the things NAF could do is help, you know, network engineers and their leadership more, maybe their leadership do that. Mm. Um, because I think that's a big part of, again, why we're not moving forward. But, but to go back and answer the question, it's like, if somebody says, I've got this automation, I've got this project that network has to complete and we want to use automation to do it. Well, figure out who it's going to touch outside of the networking team. Like, and if you can't find that answer, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Sure. But it might not be the right one to go after. Or it, it might. Like, for example, you know, we had a problem called upgrading the network, you know. And we have all these different vendors and we have all this different software. And we need to do that. And that's a, you know, that's a job that network engineers need to do. Now, I will buy a product to do that. You know, finding a good product to do that takes time. Vetting that vendor, you know, going through the process, blah, blah, blah. Am I going to write the code to automate a multi-vendor network? Because, you know, somebody's like, oh, wow, that, that's a great use case of, of network automation. I'm like, no, it isn't. I mean, not, not like DIY, because I've done that. I've tried mm. to do that just for Juniper. And I'm like, oh, that, that's, that's terrible. I don't want to do that again. So, so it's all about, you know, knowing strategically where do you want to put the wood behind the arrow. You know, buy what you can. You know, build only what you must. Jeremy, the, the code that you've written for MLB, that is all proprietary MLB. None of this is open source or anything, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it would be, um, I think, a fool's errand for, you know, for a mu- a multiple reasons for me to try to attempt that. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love doing community stuff. I mean, I like building stuff that I can put in the open source. But if I were to do that, it would require a commitment level that far exceeds probably like, you know, the cycles I have in my brain. Like I, you know, it would really take a village to do it. And I'm not really sure that's a rational thing to try to do. Yeah. I mean, again, what I, my, you know, I'm, I'm really truly evangelizing a technique here or a concept. I mean, Principles. All yeah. of this work. Yeah. And now we're benefiting it because I'm there and I can do this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, if, if I do nothing, it, quote, in the open source other than to evangelize a concept that drives real commercial product, which I would then... If, benefit from because then then I would have to build this thing and maintain and support it and I could do something else I you know in a heartbeat man that would be awesome if that were were true now do I think that's going to happen I mean you know a boy can dream (laughs) but you know now Jeremy we're at AutoCon Zero here in Denver the network automation forum is going to be publishing all the talks I assume that they're going to go out on YouTube if you are listening to this podcast and you want to see Jeremy's presentation from today Go to networkautomation.forum. I know they've got an email list. There's also a Slack group you can sign up for, and you can stay tuned for when all those presentations are going to be released. Now, Jeremy, you said you also had a related presentation at Nanog? Yes. Yes, I have a related pr- presentation on Nanog 88. Okay. Back in the summer of this year. And, and Nanog definitely publishes all their stuff on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and look up uh, Nanog, North American Network Operators Group, Nanog, and look for 88, conference number 88, all the talks will be there, including Jeremy's. Uh, and Jeremy, where else can people keep up with you? You got a blog, you, uh, social media. I, uh, could do better, <laughs> um, but it, you could find me on what is now X, but I am also on Mastodon. Um, so yeah, definitely. Oh, and of course, LinkedIn, you know, you can okay, always yeah. find me there. Yeah. 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 
Well, Jeremy Shulman, thank you very much for joining us today on Packet Pushers Heavy Networking. If you're out there listening, you can find this and all of our other fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog, newsletters, and more. It's all at packetpushers.net. We have a Slack group as well. Over 2,500 engineers are in there from all around the world chatting about networking, cloud, and other things. You got an idea. You got something you want to float. You got a problem you're trying to solve with, I don't know, your Meraki box and need a recommendation from someone about a way to solve this problem. Just go in there and post it to general and see what people have to say. You're definitely going to get feedback from lots of folks and it's all free. And uh, you can, again, find all that at packetpushers.net. We make it easy to find all those resources. If you want to follow us on the socials, LinkedIn is the best place for us these days. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>